Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for letting me be with you. Um, one of my favorite subjects without question, uh, I firmly believe biblically because I believe in what God has made known to us that while not everyone will get married, like Michael said, most will, most are inclined to, and I believe without taking anything away from those who God calls and empowers to live a celibate life, marriage represents the second greatest relational blessing we can ever have, the first being with the Father in Christ Jesus. Uh, Michael and I were down in Oregon for three days uh, earlier this week, uh, Monday through Wednesday, and we heard uh, kind of a humorous story, true story, about a couple in the Portland area who had arrived at their 25th wedding anniversary, and they wanted to celebrate, so they made reservations at a nice restaurant to go out and celebrate their dinner. So they are seated in this restaurant, and they're obviously dressed up a little bit, and uh, their server, a young woman, is their server for the night, and she comes up and introduces herself and welcomes them and asks them if they're celebrating a special occasion, and they said, well, yes, they are. They're celebrating their 25, 20, 25 years of marriage, and, and she turned to the woman and said, to the same man? And, and, and she said, well, yes, and, and she said, well, how did you do that? And they both spontaneously said, we're both passionately in love with someone else. Christ. You know, my wife and I, when, when we, uh, before we were married, uh, we loved each other very deeply. And, and when we got married, we loved each other passionately. But actually, tonight is a very significant night that I would get to talk to you because 42 years ago tonight my wife and I both responded to Christ, uh, February 24th, 1980. And uh, I had known who Christ was, but I had been running and hiding from him for many years. And my wife was not raised in the faith and had been to church a few times with some friends, but really did not know who God was or what salvation was. And he was just so gracious to call me back and call her initially, same time, same place, same night. And our, we acknowledge, looking back, that in spite of how much we loved each other, if we had not come to receive the love of God in Christ and, and love him first and then love on his behalf, we probably would have ruined our marriage. Just simply because our natural inclination is self-centeredness. Now, I don't want to shock you, but I will tell you that I'm such a fan of marriage that I've been married three times, um, always to the same woman, and I've never been divorced. <laughs> and so when we got married the first time, it was just because we loved each other. And we were doing our best, but after we came to faith in Christ, we thought, well, we want the full testimony of being married together before God to honor him and with his blessing. So we did it again bought her a gown, rented a tux, did the whole church thing. And then we did it a third time on our 20th anniversary. And so we figured we kind of been dragging our feet a little bit. We all probably ought to do it again pretty soon. I don't know if we'll wait until our 45th anniversary. My, uh, uh, one of my biggest earthly goals is to be married for 50 years if Jesus doesn't come back first. But marriage is such an incredible thing. Most of us if we're thinking about being married, if we think, well, one day I'd like to be married. And, and when I met my wife, I was very happily not married. I had, uh, quite frankly, I think God was gracious, and I survived a very ill-advised engagement for both her and I. And I was not in any way interested in being married. Um, I was a single guy living in a house with two other guys. Um, I worked at 
uh, Boeing uh, in Seattle, down on the Duwamish, uh, first shift, uh, 7 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. And at the time, I was building a race car that I intended to display in the Custom Auto Hot Boat and Speed Show. And so I would get off work at 3.30, I'd go work on my car till 10 or 10.30 at night. And then one of my roommates was a bartender in a place that served good food. And so on the way home, I would go home and get something to eat and then go home, go to bed, and go to work the next day. So I, I go in there one night. And uh, I place my order and uh, and I and I'm says so a really long you know ser service bar kind of like a counter but it's a pretty big place you know a lot of tables and about three sections and and I look across the room of this place and I see one of the most traffic stopping gorgeous women I'd ever seen in my life and I just thought wow that is a beautiful woman I mean I can't not notice her and. And just about that time, she came up to turn in an order. So all of the orders for food or whatever went through the bar. And so she came up to turn that in. I mean, she was no more than 15 or 20 feet from me. And uh, my roommate must have seen me gawking at her because after she walked off, he, he came over to bring me my food. And, and I said, who on earth is that? And uh, he, he told me her name. My wife has a very wonderful name. Her name is Ravel. It's French. It uh, actually is her mother, grandmother's maiden name. He told me her name, and I said, well, that makes sense. I mean, any woman that looks like that ought to have a name like that. Now, you know, beauty is not the main thing, but it is what attracted us. I don't know. You know what? She, she would like to have been here tonight. She really would have. And it's, it's fun. It's rewarding to talk about our marriage together. And so a lot of what I'm, I'm going to give you is just, just our testimony um, a lot of it is stuff that God teaches us about marriage, and because marriage is his idea, and when we meet with a young couple who's planning to be married, and, and we're, what we're trying to do is hand them some things that will empower them to go through the business of being married well. And, and I honestly say, I think it takes about 10 years to learn how to be married well, just to be married long enough to encounter enough stuff to realize that with God and with each other and your commitment, we're going to get through this and we're going to build and we're going to get stronger and stronger because of what we've gone through. Anyway, in spite of the fact that she was drop-dead gorgeous, that is not why I wound up wanting to marry her. There's a lot of people, male and female, that are attractive to the eye, but you spend a little time with them and you realize you wouldn't want to spend your life with them. And, uh, but as I got to know her, the, 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 the greatest attribute of my wife was obviously that she's completely genuine. The woman was incapable of deception. As life went on and we were living together, she couldn't even pull off a good lie to pull off a surprise birthday party. You know, it was like she's incapable of not being honest to people. And I thought, wow, this is an incredible attribute. This, this enables me to be confident in our relationship. My parents had been divorced. There's probably not a family represented in this room that in some way hasn't been touched by divorce by someone. My parents were divorced when I was in high school. And I, I know I had decided, you know, uh, in my early 20s, I, when I get married, I don't want to do this once. And so I had such confidence in her. And she had this incredible attribute of wanting to do nice things for me. Our relationship was not a competition. She actually wanted to bless me and make my life better. It was very easy to love her.
as far as whatever she was attracted to me and why she loved me, you'll have to ask her about that. Maybe she'll get a chance, you know, to come talk with you. But we uh, uh, wound up giving our lives to Christ, and we, we learned that the most important thing that we can do is to love each other in God's behalf because he loves them. He made them in his image and likeness. He's the one who loves them enough to have died for them. He gave his life for them, not just us. And so in marriage, really, I think our primary job, our primary calling is to deliver the goodness of God to this person we're married to. And so if, you, if we embrace that, you know, one of the reasons that a lot of marriages crash and, and don't last is because people head into the marriage being mostly thinking about what they're going to get out of it. They're thinking about what this person can do for them or how happy this person is going to make them rather than how can, what can I do for that person, how happy can I make them. Now, there's a lot of tools out there you can use, and, and uh, some of you might have seen or heard of the, the five love languages, you know, and, and there are ways that people express love, but also reveals, reveals how they most easily receive love. And it's, it's acts of service, um, words of encouragement, um, gift-giving, touch, and quality time. Those are five things. And you take this very simple little questionnaire, and it's sort of, identifies different attributes that are important to you, and you get to the end of it, and you add them up, and there's some scores, and then you see how well you scored in each of the five categories. Well, the first time my wife and I took this test about 20 years ago, her top item was quality time. I almost didn't even score in that category. And so part of the shame was if, if I, why do I want to know what's important to this person I'm married to? So that I can deliver love to them in a way that is most meaningful to them. And they, you learn that about yourself. And, and then so she and I took it again about five years later. And really, we had grown much closer to each other's priorities. We became more deliberate about loving this person in ways that was meaningful to them. You know, a lot of people get married and they, they want what's good. They want what's best. But they really have acquired no knowledge or understanding of how they can go about that. You know, some of you have gone to uh, school to gain specific education and understanding so that you might gain employment or a career or something like that. Some of you hopefully are in apprenticeships, you're learning a trade. You know, some of you have a variety of things and, and you look forward if you go into the military, they're gonna train you for how you can do certain jobs and do it well on purpose. And they're not just gonna throw you out there and say, have a good time. But most people, they, they spend little or no time actually preparing to do a good job of being married. And so they, they don't understand. And so if, if both people are in there and they're thinking mainly what they can get out of it, well, eventually they're liable to fall into keeping score. And as soon as we start doing that, I'm telling you, things are headed in a bad direction. Because we're thinking mostly about us and what we're getting rather than about the other person and what God wants them to have that he wants us to deliver to them. And so I've come up with some, for me, and, and you know, partly I'm just telling I'm just telling our story, um, but I've come up with three main things that, that I believe I received from the Lord that's okay, here's what I'm going to do about it. First of all, I committed years ago to giving my wife 
tangible evidence. I'm going to do something recognizable, observable every single day to demonstrate my love to her. I'm going to give her reason to believe that I love her. I also want to put her in a position, quite frankly, where she can't help but say, I never expected to be loved like this. I never expected someone to care this much about me. And then I'm going to do other things that, you know, it's very, my, my wife likes pretty things. She likes gifts. She gives gifts. And so I used to, I used to travel quite a bit. And wherever I'd gone before I'd come home, I would find some sort of gift to bring to her. And just as an expression that, you know, my heart was with her. And I'll tell you, and I discovered it pretty early, and this might be uncommon for a guy, you know, but I'm really gifted at buying nice clothes for her. I'm gifted at buying clothes that she likes. And the first time it happened with and she's a very stylish woman. She likes dressing well. And, um, uh, but we'd been together probably less than two years. And uh, we lived in Seattle. And I was walking through the Northgate Mall. And I go by this nice, probably upscale women's shop. And here's uh, a mannequin in the window wearing this black pantsuit, kind of a tall mannequin, and my wife's kind of tall, and um, it was this beautiful silky black pantsuit with little tiny white squares on it and some beautiful dark red buttons, and uh, I just thought she really liked it, so I bought this thing for her, and she loved it, and it fit her perfectly, and when I buy her stuff, and I bought her a lot of clothes, I bought her, you know, for, for, for when she turned 50 years old, I decided that, and this, so this was more than 20 years ago, and money was worth more than that it is now, so I'll give you a hint about our age, but I decided I was going to see if I could spend $1,000 on her birthday. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, and it was really fun. I didn't pull it off, but the way I started was I went to the mall, and I went to Macy's, and I bought this gorgeous Jones of New York pantsuit. These beautiful line slacks, they were kind of striped, and then this uh, double-breasted jacket and this lovely, elegant, white, almost pearlescent kind of sweater. And then I went over to Nordstrom, and I got her some nice matching shoes and a purse. And I bought her that stuff, and, and it all, she loved it. You know, she kept it for years. And, and then I made reservations at the nicest restaurant in town, and I, and I think we went out to a concert or something like that. But I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to spend a 1000 bucks. And uh, But I thought, how can I... If I'm going to love her in God's behalf, how can I love her extravagantly enough? As we've gone on, grown a little older, and, you know, your life's changed, and, you know, we have uh, afflictions of being children of Adam and Eve, and, and my wife has had arthritis uh, pretty badly, and, and uh, uh, it's partly is, is pretty bad in her hands, and it can be very painful for her. And, and I'm just telling you our story, that's all. So... So I, I, she likes, you know, the house, and so do I, but she likes the house tidy and put together and, and uh, you know, always like, like she, she won't go to bed if the kitchen is not clean. She's not going to get up to a dirty kitchen. And so anyway, uh, part of all of that was making the bed every day. She also likes, you know, nice uh, quilts, and we got more pillows on our bed than some hotels, you know, and stuffed animals and all of that business. So... But I watch her, and I see how she does it, and I see, okay, this is how this looks good. But the, the, the arthritis in her hands got bad that I realized that grabbing the sheets and pulling them tight and tucking them in and doing all that was painful for her. And for probably 
oh, and I don't at least 15 years, um, I make the bed every morning before I leave the house. And I do a good job of it. And, and I learn how to do it from her. I'm going to do it to her satisfaction. I'm going to do it to please her. Now, I must be doing something right because, well, I'll tell you a couple stories just about evidence of our relationship together. I had a friend, a guy I had actually grown up with, um, tell me several years ago, he said, Kurt, if every man had a wife like Ravel, this world would be a happier place. Wow, what a compliment for her, you know. And I had another friend tell me some years after that, and she and I were doing something like this in front of a group together, talking about marriage. And my friend said to me, you know what, Kurt? If every husband's wife looked at him the way Ravel looks at you, he would be a happy man. <sighs> I can get emotional about this stuff, you know. So when we meet in here in worship, and Ravel and I have been here for 25 years now, and uh, I've been the the lead pastor for pastor for 22 of those 25 years, and I generally we sit I sit down here on this side, kind of out of the way, you know, near the front, and I like to be in here when worship starts. My wife is usually out in the entryway. She really likes people. She's very very relational. Um, one of her favorite movies is Driving Miss Daisy. You know, it's a great movie, and but you know, it's got to have some meaningful relationship in it for it to be a good movie for her. But she's, so she's out there connecting with people. She likes blessing people and valuing them and all of that. So typically, by the time she comes in, you know, we're, we're at least halfway through the first song. Maybe we're on the second song. And I'm down here, and she comes in beside me, and I always turn and kiss her as soon as she gets next to me. Well, we've been doing that for, I don't know, 15 years or whatever. And uh, I had a woman in the church. We were having dinner with some friends, married couple in the church. And the wife said to me, you know what, Kurt? Every woman in this place sees you kiss Ravel when she comes in every Sunday. I thought, wow. I had no idea. I'm just doing it for her and me. We're not doing it to be seen. But, you know, things like things that we do, how we live together with each other has an impact on other people. I, uh, there was a young couple who was in their early 20s and, uh, here in the church, and, and they came to me, and they, they wanted to get married, and they asked if I would marry them and be involved in their preparation for marriage. And I said, well, thank you. I'm blessed. I'm honored. I said, you know several pastors. You have several pastors in your life. Why me? They said, we have watched. They said, we have watched you and Ravel since we were kids, and we want what you have. And I thought, well, we're not even trying to do that. We're just trying to do a decent job of being married. We're just trying to do a decent job of loving each other in God's behalf. But how we live does not go unseen. And we do it for God, and we do it for the benefit of our mate. You know, one of the questions, and I don't know, you know I offered Michael some suggestion for some, some discussion questions for you guys. But one of them has to be, Lord, how do you want me to love this person in your behalf? How do you want me to love them? Not for something I can get out of them, not for how they love me back, but just so that they know beyond any question that they are loved by you and by me who is supposed to love them more than anybody else on earth does if we're married to them. And, and uh, you know, if... That only works if both people are doing it. 
If both people aren't doing it, chances are somebody's going to end up getting used. And one of the big reasons why marriage fail is that people don't even think about it, but they wind up trying to use the other person for their benefit, trying to use this other person to make me happy or make me feel good or something like that. But if both people will love for the other one's benefit, even sacrificially, and give ourselves to it entirely, that's a contest we can afford to lose, all right? <laughs> so, okay, I'm being outloved by my wife. I admit it. She's better at it than I am. I'm still doing my best, right? <laughs> and you do that for each other, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. One time my son and I had gone to uh, University of Washington football game, and, uh, you know, we're out there at halftime and run into a guy that I had gone to school with, and and I hadn't seen him in years, and he comes walking up, and he says, oh, how's Ravel? And so I just started talking about my wife, and the guy walked away. And my son says, Dad, you're so predictable. You know, you're just bragging about her every chance you get. And I said, well, good, good. Why wouldn't I? We, we were in Eugene, Oregon, before we, the Lord moved us back up here, and uh, doing quite a bit of campus ministry and working with a lot of students from the school, and there was this young man who was a junior, he'd been at school for three years and met a girl he wanted to marry and they were planning to get married and we were talking one day and he said, how do, how do I answer these guys at work? You know, he was a full-time student, part-time job. And he said, how do I answer these guys at work who say stuff like, don't get married and ruin a good friendship? I said, you tell them just because they made a wreck of their marriage doesn't mean you're going to make a wreck of yours. That you fully intend for your marriage to get better and better as long as you're both alive. And that's, I guess, maybe this is a good place to kind of draw a bow around this. So I also wind up now in this role and all these years trying to help people whose marriages have gotten in trouble. And they know it. And so they come, you know, and, and they say, well, what can we do? And so I have them tell me about themselves. And, and I have them tell me some of the same stuff I ask people, young people who are preparing to get married initially. What was your family like growing up because whatever that was for you for you was normal but this other person might have grown up in an environment very very different and to them that's normal and if you two don't have that in mind with each other this is liable to wind up in conflict and so how do you get to know and understand this person? So I wound up talking with some couples that say, hey, listen, we're just, man, we drove this thing into a ditch, you know, and we don't want it hauled off the junkyard. What can we do about this? And I began to ask them about what's contributing to the problem. And I realized what they're lacking is they never, some of them have never seen a good marriage. Some of them didn't see good marriages in their parents. Some of them grew up without parents. Some of them have no idea what it would take for a good, healthy marriage. And as a result, they don't know where they should go. Now, when we start preparing a couple for marriage, we tell them, your goal is oneness. At the very start, when God instituted marriage with Adam and Eve, he said, we're going to make them one, as one as this body that we live in, indivisible. And so when we get in trouble, and my wife and I have gotten in trouble, and we faced some things that were tough, and said, okay, how do we get back to oneness? We can identify where we got off course, but how do we get back to oneness? And if we've never had oneness, 
and it wasn't our goal, and we weren't reaching for it in the first place, we can lose our way. And so, you know, as you move through life and the Lord may draw you towards marriage, you know, keep these, these, these things in mind. God wants you to have a very rewarding marriage for your sakes, for his sake, for the sake of anyone who can see you. He wants you to enjoy doing it. When you wind up not seeing eye to eye, and you will, then he wants you to have the confidence and the resource to say, how do we get back to where we're supposed to be? He wants you to start out knowing where you're supposed to be, where he wants to help you be, and where you can actively and enthusiastically contribute to all along the way so that the, 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 the trouble spots uh, are the exception and not the rule. I'll close with this other example, and it too is from a couple in Portland. About 15 years ago, I read a story about a couple down in Portland who had been married for 75 years. And everybody who talked about them said they were happily married. Well, this reporter heard about it and went to interview them and wound up asking the question, how did you do it? And the wife said, the road of life has some potholes in it. You're going to hit some of them. Don't let them define the trip. Amen? You know, if there were any questions, any you wanted to throw at me, should I receive those or... About marriage, about relationship, any of that? Yeah. How would know what oneness is? Oh, who the one is? That's a good question. You know, um, I had two friends that, uh, uh, one of them I had grown up with, and both of them we'd been uh, friends since uh, the latter part of high school, and we were all three getting married within about a three-month time frame. And... We were sitting in a guy's driveway one night in a car, and we said, why are we doing this? Why are you marrying this woman? And, and everybody had their own answer. I remember I said, because I am absolutely convinced that there's not another woman on earth who would love me like she loves me, a woman who I can give my love to and be confident that she loves me. Um, a lot of times, you know, there might be not be some light that goes on. Or, uh, but I firmly believe, you know, so my son came to me when he was um, in his, uh, gee, mid-20s, 23, 24. And he said, Dad, um, I'm a single man. I don't want to stay that way. I want to be married and have a family. What's your counsel? I said, well, if I were in your shoes... I encourage you to hand yourself off to God and ask him to make you into the kind of man he could entrust one of his daughters to. I had another young man come to me. Uh, in fact, this guy called me up. He just, very successful businessman down in Tennessee, and this was 35 years ago. He was early 20s, and I was his pastor and, and, uh, in Tacoma. And uh, he came and sat down and said, uh, Kurt, I, I want to be married. I said, well... You got any good candidates? <laughs> he said, well, not right now. And I said, well, what do you need in a wife? He said, I need a woman who's called to ministry. I said, no, you don't. You need a woman who's called to be your wife. You need to be a man who's called to be her husband. And quite frankly, we 
firmly I believe. There are people who might take difference with me. If we get married before God, everything in life, including ministry, takes a, back, a second seat to that. There's nothing else in life where God says, I'm going to make you indivisibly one. Now, he wants us to have that in the body of Christ. But I've told our church, and Will is back here, and he's probably heard me say it over the years. I've told our church, and nobody's objected. I love all you people, and I'll do whatever I can for your benefit. But compared to her, you don't even weigh in the balance. So never put me in a position. I had to tell my own mother that. I love my mother. We had a great relationship. But, and she loved my wife. But I just said, Mother, don't, don't, don't ever do that. You'll lose every time. And everybody in our life needs to know that. So I guess if we want to know it's the one, then I would say ask God to make sure that we can be the one for her. And he already wants the best for you. Trust him to guide you together with the person that you guys will be the right match for each other. There's no, uh, there's no script and there's no template. Uh, Ravel and I have had very traditional sort of division of responsibilities in a certain sense. She does the inside, I do the outside, I do the yard, take her to cars, stuff like that. And, and now, listen, I vacuum a lot because it's not unlike mowing a lawn. I don't know why some guys have that against it. You know, it's just, you know, it's not hard to do. But um, we have some dear friends up in Bremerton. This guy was one of my roommates when I was single when I met her. And they, they have come to Christ also. He's a very successful businessman. Owns two lakefront, uh, two waterfront homes, one salt water, one fresh water, paid for outright, does very well. But his wife is the one with the mechanical wherewithal. She's the one who would fix the dryer when it was broken and take care of the yard, and he would do the grocery shopping. And they're free to be themselves. So don't, don't be your best imitation of somebody else. You know, figure out who this person is. Maybe one of you is gifted at administrative stuff. Well, they should probably do the finances. Now, you want to be in agreement on it. My wife and I decided years ago we will never spend more than $50 for anything having to do with our home without both of us agreeing on it, without consulting each other. Nobody's going to show up with any surprises. I was at one of my nephew's first son's birthday party, and we're standing around the family room, and here's this huge, big wall unit, beautiful piece of furniture. And somebody there asked my nephew, where'd you get that? He said, I have no idea. I just came home one day, and there it was. You know, and, and we committed, we're not going to live like that. You know, one time we decided, once your kids leave, you get to keep your silverware. And so, because when you have teenagers, the silverware just leaves. I don't know where it goes. It just leaves. Probably walks out with their friends. I don't know. But anyway, your kids are gone, and you get to buy new silverware that you're probably going to keep. And so I had seen this silverware at Costco, so I took a picture and sent it to my wife. I said, hey, what do you think of this stuff? You know, if it looks good, come by and take a look at it. If we agree, we'll get it. Make your decisions together. Make sure you know that, especially life decisions. My wife and I have come to some, you know, fork in the road, change of life places. And sometimes he's spoken to me first. When he's spoken to me first, my response to him was, okay, Lord, it's you and Reveal now. There are times when he's spoken to her first. One time she came. We live, we live in this beautiful old home in North Tacoma. I just love this home. I'd have been happy to finish my earthly days there. And my office is back here, and we have a school here. And my wife was working in the school, and it was lunchtime, and she'd been in the kitchen. And she came walking to my office, and she said, I've heard from God. I said, great. That's always good. What did he have to say? She said, time to sell our house and move to Gig Harbor. I said, well, that's fine, as long as you and him both know I don't want to, you know. And four months later, we were living here, you know. And we had been at the church already. But so make your decisions together. Make that commitment to each other uh, ahead of time. So that after you've made significant decisions, you own them together. See, we're not here to impose anything on each other in marriage. No, nobody's the boss. Do you understand that? 
with the, that we defer to each other. And what was, what was the sin in the garden? And yes, Eve sinned first, but he's held accountable. They're both. What was the sin? The sin was acting independently. That's what it was. It didn't matter what the choice was, but she chose to act independently. First, independently of the husband God had given her so they could do this together with confidence, and then independently of God. Well, let's ask God. Novel concept. Any other questions? Great question. How do you reconcile an argument with your wife? Now, so I wasn't getting into the whole premarital thing, but one of the things we talk about with couples is conflict resolution. So we go back to the home we were raised in. And I ask people, how did conflict get handled in the home you were raised in? Some people are boisterous and they're yelling and screaming, but they really don't hate each other. They're just kind of venting. My guy, I got married in one of my closest friends' house. They had a huge house. His dad was an architect and a huge house. But they were Italians. And nothing against Italians, but I ate dinner with them a lot of times. And they're all so loud, you think they're about to break out in fights. But nobody's mad. They're just all loud and boisterous and stabbing at the food and everything, you know. And, and so for them, being all loud wasn't an offensive thing, you know. So, but I ask them, how did conflict get handled? Some people go stone silent. They grew up in a, ham, in a family where as soon as the conflict surfaces, everybody goes quiet. Nothing gets talked about. So conflict doesn't get resolved. The question itself leads us in a great direction. And to be able to say, who is this person? What are they bringing? What am I bringing? How do we merge these things like teeth on some gears so that they'll produce more power together and so that when we wind up with conflict, and we will, how are we gonna go about this? Some people respond really fast. Other people need time to chew on it. Grant them who they are and how you go about this. Great question. Somebody else? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good age to be married. You know, that has changed a lot. Um, my parents got married in World War II. I think my mother, let's see. She was about 19. Um, my dad was about 23. And... Uh, Typically anymore, the, uh, what do you call these people? Actuary folks. I will say this. The actuaries tell us that married people live longer. So do yourself a favor in that regard. But people get married later in life these days. I don't know that it's always um, based upon good reasons. There's a lot of mentality that says, well, I'm going to get myself situated and established, have a good job, solid income, blah, blah, blah. I, I think... You get married when you each other, you know this is the one, and I'm not letting them get away. And so, if, and I've married some young people. I married a couple who's doing a fabulous job of it about, gee, about nine years ago. He grew up in this church. She'd been part of the school. She was the oldest of seven kids, and her dad was not happy about her getting married. And she was getting married right when she turned 20 years old. And she told me how unhappy her dad was and, and that he was kind of struggling, I think, with somebody else becoming the main man in her life. So I said, well, if he's willing, you know, tell him to come on out. You know, I'll sit down and talk with him. And I just told him, you know what, her age isn't the issue. I know them both well. And I affirm that, that this is a good thing. I'd be happy to have my daughter marry this guy. And your job is to do a really good job 
of handing her off and giving her to this guy. So the age, I don't think there is an age, but if you're marriage-minded, then I would say, you know, make yourself a good candidate, surrender yourself to God, put your radar up, and uh, trust him to draw you together with somebody else, somebody else who knows that you're the one. Okay? Yeah. We're good? All right. Yeah, thanks, man.